We're going to talk tonight about Nehemiah. We're going to focus on the first chapter, uh, but we will dig in a little bit to some of the other uh, parts of the book. Uh, this uh, continues my ongoing series. About every five years I get up here, <laughs> talked about Joseph, talked about Solomon, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about Nehemiah. Before we start digging into the Word, let's pray. Father, when we step back, and thankfully even sometimes when we don't step back and we focus on you, we are in awe. The great God of the universe, the creator, not created, but the creator. The one who has more love than we can possibly imagine. The one who is, knows all, is all-powerful, and has shown us so much grace that you sent your son down here, not just to live on earth as a humble human being, but to suffer and die for us. And then you raised him from the dead, conquered death for us. We are a very grateful people. And we pray now, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we look into your word, that you would change us. And I certainly pray this for myself, Lord. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is your Son and our Savior. Amen. I had a chance to, uh, to, to read through Nehemiah. Um, I think it was late spring, early summer, and uh, first time in a long time, and was surprised, surprised. I said, you know, if you had asked me, I would have said, Nehemiah, great godly man, great leader, rebuilt the wall. That's about as far as I could have gone. And, uh, and I thought this would be neat stuff to share. And uh, I shared it with uh, my family, first of all, and uh, shared a little bit on uh, a Wednesday evening prayer meeting. And, uh, uh, and we'll dig a little deeper tonight. Thought we would start... There we go. With, uh, and if you don't have an outline, I'm sure somebody in the back can get you one. There's an outline that looks a lot like uh, what I'll have up on the slides, but not quite as detailed. A little historical context. It, uh, we, we, we know that uh, what happened about uh, 1000 BC, we had the United Kingdom of Israel, right? It was a kingdom, which meant there was a king. Israel prayed for a king, begged God for a king, and uh, the Lord, uh, this is the Williamson paraphrase, said, be careful what you ask for, and uh, they got a king, and the king was Saul. And, and, and we know that uh, Saul was, turned out not to be the king that the people hoped for. He, he was not somebody that led them in following the Lord. Followed by David, followed by Solomon, and then the kingdom divided. And there was a long procession of, uh, we had the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. What do we know about all those kings in the northern kingdom of Israel? They were bad. Except for, there were no exceptions. There were, they were ungodly kings in the northern kingdom and a few godly kings in the southern kingdom. But the nation of Israel 
uh, as a whole, the, the Jewish people were pulling away from God. And we know that was the time of the prophets saying, but the, the, this is the Williamson summary, um, listen, we are a sinful people, but God still says if we repent, if we turn back to him, he will not send us away. And uh, that, that happened for centuries. And the Assyrians came along finally in the uh, 700s uh, BC and uh, conquered the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, and took them into captivity. And here you see in 586 BC, um, Babylon came along, conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, took them into exile. And, and why exile? And I think this is relevant to our study of Nehemiah. Why didn't they just conquer them and leave them there? They wanted to assimilate the people into their culture. What better way to keep a group of people from trying to build up against a conquering group than to assimilate them into your culture and then there's nothing for them to conquer. They're part of your people. And why is that relevant, particularly relevant tonight? I think it's relevant because here Nehemiah is born and raised in the Babylonian culture in one of the main cities in that empire, and he is a man who's faithful to God. That's 586 B.C. quickly. Uh, 539 B.C., Persia overthrows Babylon, takes over the Persian Empire, and a year later, the Persian king allows the exiles, the Jewish exiles, to start returning back to the Promised Land. Uh, the first wave is led by Zerubbabel in 538 B.C. Ezra, a very godly man and godly teacher, leads the second wave in 458 B.C. And 445 B.C., Artaxerxes was the king of Persia. Nehemiah was his cupbearer. And what we'll read about is how Nehemiah then heads off and the third wave goes back. And we know that Nehemiah's mission was to rebuild the wall. Let's read now uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, I'm very fond of our senior pastor's custom. If we could all stand while I read through the 10 verses, 11 verses of Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, that'd be the 20th year of Artaxerxes' rule, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Thank you. Please have a seat. Years ago, um, Cheryl and I worked in the uh, senior high department. And uh, Charlie Meister, are you still working in the senior department, senior high department? How many centuries have you worked in the senior high department? Charlie's well known, if you don't know, in the senior senior high department for um, trying to tell jokes. I th I always think of you when I think of Nehemiah, Charlie. What would Charlie Meister's question be related to Nehemiah? Who is the shortest man in the Bible? Nehemiah. That would be correct. And one of those kids that we, uh, we worked with when we were in the high school department was Christine Pickett. Um, a lot of you know that you saw her sister, her sister, her picture up here when um, JK was going through the EG Ministries. Christine has now been on the EG Ministries staff. JK, for how long? Do you know? Since 2006. And uh, Christine's mom is here tonight, Jan. Christine grew up in this church, and uh, Christine and John are, are off in Michigan serving the Lord and serving EGs. Uh, lots of connections here, right? The Lord interweaves all of our lives. How about some geographical context? Uh, quiz afterwards on this map. You can get a sense. The, uh, you probably can't tell the colors from back there, but basically this is a map of the Persian Empire in this era, this era of Nehemiah, this era of Artaxerxes, uh, give or take 450, 500 uh, BC, and it's, it's a big area, right? It covers, do you, I don't know if you can tell, it went almost all the way over to India, what is modern-day India. It covered what big parts of what is today Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, dipped down into the northern part of the Arabian Peninsula, modern-day Turkey, northern parts of Egypt. This was a big empire. And think about sort of that part of the world. This was a monstrous empire. And who lived at the time in the Arabian Desert? Basically nobody. It was a desert who lived in the Sahara Desert, basically nobody. Huge portion of the world was under the control of Artaxerxes. That context. Oh, and I know, I wanted to try. Can I pull this off, Howard? Green button at the top. Green button at the top. Oh, there it is. There. I don't know, I can't hold it perfectly steady. 
I can see it from here. But you can probably see the star. The point is, that was, that's Susa. That's the town where Nehemiah was at, at this point in time. A big enough town, an important enough city, says, refers to it as the capital here, that uh, it made this map of the whole Persian Empire. Okay, context, there we are. Here's my summary uh, that, you, that you have in front of you. Five key points that I want to focus on, and you can see on your outline that we're going to dig the most into the prayer part. Nehemiah asked questions. He just didn't run off and start doing his own thing. He asked questions. He took inventory. We'll dig into that a little. He cared deeply about his people. He focused on the Lord. We'll talk about that a little bit more. We'll talk quite a bit about his prayer. And he built relationships, a, in particular, a deep personal relationship with a very powerful non-believer. And in all these ways, he's a role model for all of us, certainly including myself. Um, certainly including myself. Ask questions. Right, we saw there... Um, one of his brothers, not sure if that's a, a blood brother in, in a worldly sense or one of his Jewish brothers, came with men from Judah. He asked them uh, how everybody was doing. They said the remnant who had survived is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. What was his reaction? As, who, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Is that the heart that I have for the believers in the Lord Jesus, my brothers and sisters in Christ, where when they're hurting, I'm hurting to that point. I can't say that I'm there. And we have, you know, we all know, um, we, we, I'm guessing every single one of us could rattle off multiple families in this building who are hurting deeply right now for physical reasons, for emotional reasons, for mental health reasons, for spiritual health reasons? Am I mourning and weeping for them? Do I have the heart for my brothers and sisters in Christ that Nehemiah had for his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters? Powerful there. Uh, did I skip one? You guys, I guess I, I went too quick. I did skip one. My apologies. Everything I said was true, just out of order. Uh, look at the first thing he did. Um, he, he's, he's in this role. These guys come in and he says, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Right, and he says, Lord, he asked questions. He took inventory. He heard from multiple people. Uh, came with certain men. I asked them concerning the Jews, how everything's going. He wanted to get firsthand information from these guys, uh, the closest that he could get to firsthand. If he wasn't going to go himself, we know that he later went himself. Sought multiple perspectives. He wasn't going to decide imme immediately based on third-hand, fourth-hand, fifth-hand information what to do. He wanted to get from people that he trusted. He wanted to get his, their perspective on what was going on in Jerusalem, the home country. There we go. And then where did he go? After he wept and mourned, he went to pray. And he prayed once over the people. 
Right? It's not what it says. Right? And these are, these are Nehemiah's words. Uh, the Bible scholars that I read believe Nehemiah probably didn't write the whole book, but much of the first few chapters are written in the first person. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the Lord God. Focused on the Lord, went right to prayer and focusing, Lord, I need your help. I am no, what, 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 is, what is a more humble thing that we can do as human beings than fasting and praying? Saying, it's not about me, Lord. It's all about you. I need you to step in here. I need you to do what you can do. Only you can take care of this situation. And his fasting, is, is, it's a powerful thing. I, I still remember years ago uh, in uh, hearing Larry Belusio talk. Years, Larry lost his dad decades ago. And uh, Larry, I never knew Larry's dad, but I certainly know Larry Belusio. And Larry's comments to a whole bunch of us were, when my dad was passing away, I fasted and prayed for days that the Lord would take care of my dad and would keep him for me. And the Lord didn't. And, and Larry's words were, and I was fine with that. But, and Larry wasn't boasting. It was, it, was, it was a sincere time of leaning as hard as he could on the Lord for the Lord's deliverance of his father. Am I there in my life? Am I focused on the Lord in that instant? Is that my immediate heart reaction when something goes bad? Nehemiah, a great role model for us. How about the prayer? Um, he praised God, right? Did you see how he started his praise? O Lord God of heaven. And you know, I, I thought about that. You know, he was in a culture... And if, if we dug into the whole book, we'd see that phrase used by Artaxerxes, O Lord God of heaven. This isn't just the God of the day, the God of the night, the God of the rivers, the God of the moon, the God of the sun. This is God of heaven. It's recognition of the universal God, the creator God, the one and only God. O God of heaven, the great and awesome God, and we know how that word gets overused. The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Starting with praise. What's, um, what is one of the great acronyms that we use in Bible-believing churches about prayer? Acts, I heard somebody say it. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And we very clearly see in this prayer adoration, confession, and supplication, and certainly in Nehemiah implies thanksgiving. And that's where he starts. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant with those who love him and keep his commandments. A prayer of great praise. Pull some notes out here. Um, Verse 1 and 6, I'm sorry, verse 6 of chapter 1. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. I need to, oh, there we go. Um, to the prayer of your servant, now that I pray before you 
every once in a while that I pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. That I pray before you day and night for your people, the people of Israel, your servants, devoted to prayer. Am I there praying for my call? And I, you know, I'm, I'm looking out tonight and I, you know, wow, I'm thinking of family situations just in the folks that I see out here, uh, guys that I've, uh, men and women I've had the, the, the pleasure of praying for over the years. And I'm thinking of even in the last month or two, very serious prayer requests of this group out here. And, and, and the question is, am I praying for you all the way I should be praying for you all? Day and night, multiple times per day, praying often. Independence on God. Look at, we see here, clearly this is a man, Lord, he's begging, Lord, I depend on you. Look ahead to some of these verses here. Uh, just at chapter 4 and chapter 6 is loaded with it. We're, we're, by the time we get to chapter 4, we're in um, rebuilding the wall mode, and the word is coming into Nehemiah that the enemies are about to attack. The enemies around Jerusalem are not fond of this. They're afraid that what's going on is they're building up their strong defense and then the Jews are going to attack their enemies. So the enemies of the Jews are gearing up to attack Jerusalem before this wall gets fully built. Look how Nehemiah reacts. Chapter 4, verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Verse, chapter 4, verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials, this is his Jewish colleagues, and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of these guys, of them, the ones that are about to attack. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. First things first, though, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Chapter 4, 19, verses 19 and 20. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. If we dug into this more deeply, we would see Nehemiah had everybody in Jerusalem and there, there are particular groups that are named goldsmiths. What do you think a goldsmith knew about rebuilding a wall? I don't think anything. Perfumers, makers of perfume, what did they know about rebuilding a wall? I don't think anything. Government authorities, priests, Levites, all scattered around various parts of the wall rebuilding it, and here they are in 19 and 20 far from one another, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Our God, huge dependence on God. And we know that when the story ends, he depended on God, that he, he reflected his dependence on God. And much the same way, I think, I always think of the Apostle Paul when I think of this. When, this is a Bill Williamson perspective. If you ask me, yo, Williamson, yo, who do you think the greatest Christian is who ever lived? My answer is the Apostle Paul. Um, I could be wrong, and, and 
that could be the wrong way to even think about it. But I think of all, you know, everything, all the times, all the people that he shared the message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with. And then after his first missionary journey and his second missionary journey, he came back and reported to the folks back in, you know, his sending people. And what did he say? Let me read you. In Acts 14, 25 to 27, at the end of the first missionary journey. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adelaide. This is Paul and Barnabas, uh, Luke writing about them. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Key verse, 27. And when Paul and Barnabas arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that had all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It was not a matter of, let us tell you what we did. It was a matter of what God had done with them. They depended on God. Do we, do I, depend on God for success in everything I'm involved in? At the end of the second missionary journey, uh, Paul was, I mean, Luke was with him on that journey, right? And Luke was the author of Acts. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. This is after they've returned from their second journey. And all the elders were present. After greeting them, Paul related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Dependence on God. And I can tell you, I, um, in my own life, a few years ago, um, we, we sent three missions teams up to Place of Promise in Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, three consecutive weeks and uh, ran Bible school, um, summer Bible school programs for three weeks in those neighborhoods. And um, I had the, the privilege of going the third week. This isn't about me. This is about two of the girls that were in the group I was in. The two youngest girls in our group of nine, still in high school at the time, and uh, their parents weren't there. Um, and they're off by themselves for a week with people. They, you know, they were the only ones in high school there. And these two were unbelievable. All they did all week was do everything. If you had to write out, okay, what should they be doing? They did all of it. They were, they were part of our group. They didn't stay away by themselves. Their, their parts, they were involved in the crafts. Their crafts were incredibly well organized. They were phenomenal with the kids, truly ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, and did a beautiful job that whole week in their role in that uh, summer Bible school program. We got home. We were in the parking lot back here. Their dad came, and I said, Larry, your, kid, your two daughters were spectacular. This was Larry C., the daughters Anna and Linnea. And Larry's immediate reaction, immediate, was praise God. And he, he was very clear that we had a couple there, Ellen and Larry C., who have raised their daughters, all four of them, depending on God. And that's what was important to them. Just like Nehemiah was totally depending on God to save and protect the people and rebuild the wall. Are we there? Boldly. Oh, before I get to boldly, I, you, you guys have it in your outline. I believe, am I right? If I can get my copy of, yes. After, confessed sin. Did you notice when 
in his prayer where Nehemiah uh, uh, confessed sin, whose sin he was confessing? He started by confessing the sin of the nation of Israel. And here's a very godly man who is leading his people and says what? I now pray before you day and night for the people of your servants. This is, I am praying, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Nehemiah showing a true humility, but a genuine, this is my perspective on what's going on here, a very genuine humility, not a false humility in front of other people. This is just Nehemiah and God. Lord, I have sinned against you, and I am confessing also the sins of my people before you. I think there's a powerful message, especially, I'm looking out here tonight, there's a lot of pastors in this, and elders and deacons out here tonight. Do we confess the sins of our people when we talk and pray and confess our sins to God? More role modeling. Bold, you see, boldly, he was bold before God, um, which we have sinned. Remember, you know, this is, this is one man who clearly recognizes who God is, yet he's very bold towards God. It, it's, and I don't take it this way for sure. You know, I think when we first read it, we might take it as saying, dear God, you know, make sure you're on your game. Don't forget You know, you commanded your servant Moses and you said, you know, if you're unfaithful, I'm going to scatter the people. But if you return, though your servants are outcast, I'll gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen. Lord, don't forget that because I know you might forget that that, that's not, in my opinion, what's going on here at all. It's, Lord, I know you remember, you know, and, and I remember, Lord, that this is what you said to your people through Moses. This is what you said centuries gone by. And how long ago had that been? How much time passed, roughly, from Moses to Nehemiah in round numbers? Say a thousand years. You're right. It was about a thousand years. Yeah, about a thousand years. And that message came through. Exodus 32, 13 is where Moses was speaking to the Lord after the Jewish people had built and worshipped the golden calf. Right? Moses went away. He comes back. And the people had built this thing that they were worshiping, the Lord God, and the, the, the words in Scripture were that he was filled with wrath, with wrath. And Moses speaks boldly to the Lord and says, Dear Father, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever." Lord, don't forget your promise to your people. Boldness. We're called to do the same thing, I believe. I believe Nehemiah was modeling it there for us to be bold in our prayers to God. Lord, please don't forget your promises. I know you've said this. I am come to you in boldness that I can only do because in our era, in the era of grace, in the era following the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, I don't come to you in my own value, in my own worth. I come to you boldly because of what the Lord Jesus has done. Boldly. Knowledgeably. 
You know, based on what we just read, you know, this was, a, as I said, a thousand years after. Not only did he, he, he knew the history of his people, but how would he have known that? How would Nehemiah have known the history of his people going back a thousand years? From the Jewish people sharing by word of mouth and also, didn't I hear somebody said something? He was taught. He was taught, and he would have been taught from God's word, right? They would have had certainly the Pentateuch there, the first five books of the Bible, Moses' words, and he wouldn't have known this, especially in the context. We talked about it earlier. Where was he? He was in Susa, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, exiled. They'd been there for over a hundred years. He certainly had, he had never spent a day in Jerusalem in, my li in his life, been exiled. Yet here was a man that clearly had grabbed onto God's word, God's scriptures. When I'm praying, am I praying knowledgeably with a sense of where God's people are in my life and with a sense of God's word in my life? Am I always working to build that? And he asked for success. At the very end, verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Give success to your servant today and grant a mercy in the sight of this man. Because where was he headed? If we read on, he was headed to Artaxerxes and say, King, even though I'm your cupbearer, I'm one of your top servants, I'm going to ask you, I'm begging you, please let me go to Jerusalem with my people and lead the rebuilding of the wall. And this would be obviously a very a, a Jewish man who's a servant of the king, who's the king of that massive empire to say, I want to leave your kingdom or I want to leave your palace and being your servants and your servant and pull this off. Asking the Lord for success. That was his prayer. And then um, he says, I was cupbearer to the king. I asked the question, how did that happen? How does a Jewish man who's clearly still very, very close to his God, his faith, his people, hasn't assimilated it into this culture, which was the plan of the Babylonians, and now he's serving the Persian king, how does he become the cupbearer to the king? We don't get a lot of detail on that. But here's, based on what we do see, let me just read a few words, a few verses into chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. That was his job, right? Cupbearer. He had to taste the wine first to make sure there's no poison in it. Uh, now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing I can tell you're not sick, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. How does that happen? How does the mighty king of this monstrous empire notice that his cupbearer for the first time ever is, not, is sad in his presence? I believe it's because they had built a relationship like this. Because this was the kind of person that the king was very comfortable with. This was a man of integrity, 
who when he said something, the king knew it was true, a man, an honest man who was dependable. When the king asked him to do something, he did it. Uh, I've used this example multiple times in, um, in, in my years at Alden Union Church. If ever there was a man in my life who you could say, his yes is his yes. If he told you he was going to do something, he would do it. It was Bill Harris. Still is Bill Harris. He's just had the nerve to move to South Carolina. Ashley, I'm still upset about that. <laughs> Bill and Kathy are down there. But if Bill said that he was going to do something, Bill Harris did it. And, and Joe, you may know this, but, and some of you may not know this, um, one of the key people, probably the most important person in getting this new building built and the mortgage and making it happen uh, from a human perspective was Bill Harris. He basically was our on-site project manager, even though he had a full-time job and a wife and two daughters. But Bill's yes was yes. He figured out a way to make his yes yes. He was a dependable person like Nehemiah. I can tell you, I still work on that in my life, that my yes would be yes. Transparency. I don't think this relationship would have existed, and I think that's one of the things that Artaxerxes is saying. You know, you're sad. He was very transparently sad in front of the king. He wasn't trying to put on airs and try to be something he wasn't. Clearly, he had that comfort level with the king, and the king had a comfort level with him. He was genuine. And the point is, this was not a Jewish man, this king. In, in our terms today, this was an unbeliever who had built a close relation, a believer who had built a very close relationship with an unbeliever. Even an unbeliever who was in a very powerful position, even an unbeliever who was as powerful a man as there was in that whole part of the world. We should, I believe that's a role model for us. Wherever I am, am I doing that? And, 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 and I, I, I can tell you in this area, I had, um, in the, a lot of you know that I, I was in the business world for 28 years, and the last 23 years were with a firm called Towers Perrin, and uh, the guy who was the office manager of that firm for um, 15 of those years and that, that, this was a high-level position, the Philadelphia. The firm had offices all over the world, and, um, but Philadelphia was the founding office of the firm, and Art was the manager of the office. So it, was, it wasn't the main office anymore, but it was still a very prominent office, very prominent position. And I had a chance to, to share the gospel with Art. And uh, Sometimes I found that, and maybe others of you are in this position, it was easier for me to share the gospel with people above me in the organization and then below me in the organization. It, it felt like uh, intimidation or manipulation, perhaps, if, if I was sharing below me, um, unless it, you know, I walk very softly and gently and tread lightly, but clearly. Um, but with art, I could be very bold, and I still remember his reaction. His reaction was... Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how God, I'm convinced, I know, it was stronger than that. I'm convinced that God could never forgive me for all the wrong things I've done in my, I've done in my life. And, um, and of course, that wasn't true. And, and I wanted to say, and to my shame, I don't think I ever said to him, because I wanted to go back and say, 
Did you ever study the life of the Apostle Paul? You know, who's a greater example of how could God ever forgive somebody? But obviously, not only did he forgive the Apostle Paul, he used him in such a powerful way. But that's just one little example of my life. I've also had the chance to share the gospel with the principal at our high school. And right now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. And uh, that's the top dog, of course, in, in your building is the principal. And what's a neat thing about that is that we have... Um, people that are regularly praying for our principal, um, including somebody that's here tonight. My buddy Phil Over came. I, some of you know Phil. Phil grew up in this church. Phil now lives out in the Malvern area, and he's, a, he's the head of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, his second career uh, in northern Chester County, and, and works with high school people and high school kids throughout the northern half of Chester County. And... Um, if, if you had a chance to talk with Phil about our high school and FCA, what you would hear is, we've got to pray for Paul Hurley, the principal of that high school. What's the message? The point is, we all need to look for those opportunities, in my opinion, to particularly build relationships with unbelievers above us in whatever organization we're in, just as Nehemiah did, and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. We cannot be intimidated by that, just as Nehemiah was not intimidated. So, in conclusion, let's just go through this quickly. If you have any, maybe you've tried to fill some of these guys in as I was going through. Good teacher always brings the answer key. I have the answer key right here. Um, ask questions. Do I ask questions? In, in yours, do I slow down, take inventory, and plan? Don't just jump into the fray. Do I slow down, take inventory, ask questions, find out what's going on? Do I slow down, take inventory, and plan? Do I care deeply? That message is, do I care deeply about the people I put in my unit, whatever my organization is? that where I am? Do I focus on the Lord? Do I focus on the Lord as I plan and prepare? Just like Nehemiah did. His fasting and his praying. And his, his fasting and praying, I'm sure. Do, I, do my prayers, when I go to God, do my prayers include these characteristics? Do I pray with praise? Do I pray often? Do I pray with dependence on the Lord? Do I pray with confession, not just for me, but for the, the believers around me? Do I pray boldly, because the Lord has called us to do that? Do I pray knowledgeably from the history of his people and knowing his word? And do I never hesitate to pray for success? And, you know, I know a lot of us are there, but a lot of us might not be at that level, I know that I'm not, at that extreme level where Nehemiah was, and he's our role model. And do I strive to build deep personal relationships with non-believers, particularly those in authority? Do I strive to build deep personal relationships with non-believers, particularly those in authority? Let's pray.
Father, we are so thankful for these men and women in Scripture who give us a model to follow. People like Joseph, people like David, people like Daniel, people like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, people like Moses, people like Nehemiah. And we pray, Lord, that we would think, every single one of us, Lord, about this passage of Scripture and this man who lived 2,500 years ago and learn from him and follow the pattern that he set out for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.